John chapter 17, I want to share what I think many of us have had happen to us before, but one of the most humbling times, one of the most humbling circumstances that we can have in our life. I remember being a young high school kid being called into ministry. And I remember my church that I was a part of there in Pensacola, Florida, being petrified to stand before the 1,000 or 1,500 member congregation and share my call to ministry, my testimony, and how God was sending me off to go to Bible college a couple hours away, and I was sharing that. I probably did a horrible job, was probably very nervous. I don't even know how people understood probably what was happening or where I was going. But a couple of years later, after I graduated college, I went back to that church, and people came up to me, and they shook my hand, and they said, you're Casey, right? I remember hearing you speak a couple of years ago, and I've been praying for you since then. And I had no idea who these people were. I don't remember meeting them at all, but they were praying for me. One of the most humbling and encouraging times is when someone comes and you didn't even know who they are, but they know who you are, and you've been on their mind, and they've been praying for you. It's often something we neglect, but the few who find the power of prayer and are consistent in it, how humbling it is. I had a professor in college, he passed away a few years ago, but his name was Dr. Vaughn, and anyone who went to college knew Dr. Vaughn. He, he was a humble, small-statured man but loved the lord he was a professor of new testament theology and you could go and ask him a question he would spend all day to talk with you and he carried around in his little pocket shirt that he had every day a little pencil and a little notepad and he, he walked around real slow around campus and and you would say hey dr vaughn and he would say hey casey how are you doing today i mean he would he would know who you are because you had had one conversation with him and he knew who you were because your name was on that notepad, if you had ever had a conversation with him. And he would pray through that notepad daily. We come to our text this morning, and we see Jesus in prayer for us. In the past and in prayer for us today, a humbling thought to think that Jesus, the Son of God, would be praying for me. That he would be praying for you. Last week in our verses... We saw how if you have believed in Jesus Christ, you've trusted in Jesus Christ, then you've been taken out of the world in a spiritual sense and you have been given eternal life. We saw verse after verse last week of how God the Father gave as a possession to Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ gave to us. And there was a list of items we went through last week of things we have been given, blessings we have been given. One of those was eternal life. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ this morning, you've been given eternal life. Something else I discussed last week is we've been given, many of us, a spouse, a husband, a wife. And the giving of our spouse is not for our own good, although we do benefit from it. We do get blessings from it. But ultimately, our marriage, my marriage to my wife, should marriage or should mirror the treatment of how God has treated me in this relationship I have with him. Jesus Christ is married to us, the church, and he treats us with love, reverence, respect, 
patience, mercy, grace. He serves us continually. Likewise, I have been given that, and I am called to produce in that in my marriage. As I have been shown love, I show love. As I have been shown mercy, I show mercy. As I have been shown patience. So your marriage to your spouse should be a reflection of your marriage to Jesus Christ. What a calling that is for us husbands. What a calling that is for the wives. To us to look at our marriage not as a means for ourselves, but as a means to glorify God. So we give our eternal life. We give our marriage, all of these blessings we receive, our children we've been blessed with. We in turn know we can give nothing to God because we don't own it. But we can turn it back over to God knowing he owns it and he has always owned it and we use it for his glory. It's not based on our deservingness or our qualities. It's based upon him who grants mercy. As we come to verse 9 in John 17 this morning... We see this verse where Jesus says, I am praying for them. This leads to point number one this morning. Jesus prayed for you. In this passage, we see this prayer is for the disciples, but it also encompasses us. It includes us this morning. And Jesus is praying for every single person who has ever trusted in him as Lord and Savior in the context. We see this prayer preserved for us in the scriptures as if Jesus was speaking it. He says, I am praying for them. Scripture also goes on to teach us that Jesus as our high priest, entering into the presence of God, was able to do so, but he doesn't just, he didn't just pray for us one time, but he continues in prayer for us today. Point number two, Jesus continues in prayer for you today. Romans eight thirty four says, Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, he was the one who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. It's easy for us to forget, just as I went off to college, it was easy for me to forget there were people still in my home church praying daily for me. Scripture teaches that Jesus is interceding, praying daily for you if you're a believer in him this morning. Hebrews 7.25 says, Consequently, he, Jesus Christ, is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. It would be easy for us also to think too little of what it means for Jesus to pray for us and is still interceding for us to God. Often, I know I have been guilty of this, is somebody's going through a situation and we say, What, church? I'll pray for you. When many times we should probably just stop and pray with them right there. So I want to encourage you to do that, church. Somebody has something going on. Get involved. Be relational. Relationships are messy, and they're supposed to be, and you're supposed to get involved. And so come alongside of them. Hey, can we pray about that right now? What a privilege, responsibility, and opportunity to come alongside of others. But often we say, I'll pray for you. And we go on and we forget. But Jesus never forgets. He prays for us today. But something very important for us to understand is when Jesus says he will pray for us, what he prays always will happen. This means that everything Jesus prayed would happen. We pray according to God's will. 
Jesus taught us when we are to pray, we should not pray according to our own will, but to Him in heaven. We say, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, as in not our will. It's not about my will. I submit to God in prayer because prayer changes me. It doesn't always change the circumstances. So I come to God in prayer knowing He will do what is best. And I'm praying for me to be okay with what God will do in this situation. So yes, prayer changes things. It changes situations, but more importantly, it changes us. It conforms us to God's perfect will. But understand, when Jesus prays, he's praying perfectly as God, part of God, part of the Trinity. And so there are no prayers of Jesus that go unanswered. Everything Jesus prays happens. And this is important for us to understand because in this passage, Jesus prays some specific things for you and for you and for you and for me. And so if Jesus prays something specifically for you and his prayers always happen, this means we should have hope and encouragement and confidence and for us to really be looking what Jesus has prayed for us. Because we can have confidence in his prayers that he is interceding for us. He says, I am praying for them. Jesus goes on to be very clear about who his prayer is for. In the rest of this verse, it says, I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you, the Father, have given me. These are the people who we saw last week who were given from the Father to the Son. The Son gave eternal life to So if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, it's reiterating that fact. It's not because you earned it. Your salvation was a gift. It was given. It was granted to you. We saw this back in John, verses 1, 12 through 13. It says, To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of the blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So now that you have been saved, Scripture goes on to teach, you are now being prayed for. The title of my sermon this morning is actually taken from this concept, for those whom he saved are for those whom he prayed. For those whom he saved are for those whom he prayed. In the scriptures, we see Jesus is praying for you. He's praying for your situations. He's praying for your hurts. He prays for you to endure when you feel like giving up. Jesus prays for you in our world today when you endure persecution. We see in John 17, Jesus asked the Father for a couple of things. One of the things we see is for him to be glorified. In verses 1 through 5 of John 17, we covered last week. But we also see in John 17, 11, look in verse 11. It says, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. Jesus asked for God the Father to keep believers in the Father's name. Now, does Scripture say for Jesus' prayer that he's asking that we, you and I, keep ourselves in the Father's name? No, he's saying, God the Father, please keep them in your name. What does it mean to be kept in the name of God? It means to preserve, to stay faithful to the faith. Every other mainstream religion of the world doesn't teach this. Other mainstream religions teach that you and I, we keep ourselves in the faith by our actions, by our deeds. 
what you do and what you don't do. Jesus here is attributing us staying faithful to the faith, not as our own doing. This isn't a works-based salvation. I don't earn salvation because I'm a good person. I earn salvation by understanding I'm not a good person. I've never been a good person. I can't do it on my own, but Jesus did. And I'm trusting in that through faith. So this is why we believe that once someone is truly saved, they will never lose their salvation. Why is that? Because it's not dependent on us. It's dependent on Him who gives it. This is why we believe in eternal security. Another thing is Jesus prayed for God the Father to keep them in the faith. And if Jesus' prayers are always perfectly prayed, and they are always true... We see in John 6 and John 7 and John 8 and John 3 and John 1 that the Father is the one who keeps them. Jesus' prayers are always answered. And if his prayers are always answered, our faith and our remaining in the faith is held by God, not ourselves. So how does this understanding work out in our practical theology day by day? I want to give an example here. Because we've all heard this before. We hear someone say this. Well, I used to be a Christian, but... Right? Or they say, well, I used to believe in God, but then I went and... And now I don't. In fact, I went to Google this past week, and I just typed in, former Christian, enter. And it'll pull up story after story, and it says, former Christian, now such and such. Or type in, ex-pastor. And you'll get story after story of ex-pastors who were pastors for so many years, and now they're doing extreme things against what they used to stand for. Many of these are published on atheistic websites, video of people touting almost as a badge of honor, or as they have experience now as a Christian, because they were once in this faith, and now they're not. And so that's almost like their experience. They can talk about it now because they've been there as if they're qualified to talk about Christianity because they have that experience in the past. They act like, I want us to see a picture, they act like Christianity is like a t-shirt that you can put on and you can take off. I used to be. Well, biblically, that's not how the Bible teaches it. So what they're talking about is not actually biblical Christianity. They talk as if one's actions make them a Christian or one saying, I'm a Christian. Profession makes them a Christian. That's not what makes someone a Christian. So church, for us, this should immediately raise red flags when someone says, well, I used to be a Christian because it screams against what the Bible teaches a Christian is. Here, here's an example that I've used with people when they've talked about, well, I used to be a Christian and this is why I don't believe anymore. Is what if I told you this? I used to have an incredible relationship and be so in love with my wife back when I was married. But then I realized she didn't exist. Does that make any sense? If I said, I used to have this incredible relationship with my wife back when I was married. But then I realized she didn't exist. Does that make me an authority now on marriage or on women? Right? It doesn't. But many times, we just kind of, oh, they used to be a Christian, they used to be in the church, used to be a pastor, now he knows. 
when in fact you would probably look at me as mentally unstable. And they're the one touting that as kind of a foundation, well, I used to know all of this and now I'm not. Well, I didn't used to be married. No, it was something made up in my head. But they promote it as a fact. The Bible teaches that when someone truly comes to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, they stay committed to knowing him as Lord and Savior. Why is this? Well, because when we realize God does exist and he enters into our life, I can't make him all of a sudden unreal. No less than I could imagine my wife and children as unreal. Because they are real. He is real. He's entered into our life. He's done incredible things in us and produced in us. So we're held in the faith by something far greater than our own desire to stay in the faith. That's what Jesus' prayer is for. We're held in the faith by something far greater than my own intellect to keep me in the faith. I'm held in the faith by something far greater than whether my circumstances are good or bad. No, for those who are truly followers of Jesus Christ, we're held in the faith by God himself. And we don't flip and flop and fall into and fall out of the faith because we never fell into it in the first place. Scripture teaches you were called. You were God. You were sought after. It wasn't a mistake. God was sure of that. We were placed in the faith by God, and so we don't fall out of the faith accidentally. Romans 8, 31 through 39 clearly teach this, as well as many other passages. But I just want to read Romans 8. It says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to the slaughter. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, angels nor rulers, things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The reason we preserve and we stay in the faith is because we have been placed there by God. So next time you hear somebody say, well, I used to be a Christian, you can know that's not true. Either they never were or they are still and they're going through a time of doubt. But we don't fall in and out of Christianity like that. It's not, we're not kept there by our own self. Verse 11, Holy Father... Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. So why did Jesus pray some of these prayers for all of us? Well, we see a reason in verse 11. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Point three says this. Jesus prayed for us because we remain in the world. A prayer for us is because we remain in the world. 
This world is full of suffering. It is full of sin. It is full of disease. It is full of sickness. It is full of hate. It is full of heartbreak, betrayal, corruption, and did I mention politicians? Right? Just a little comedic relief here in our political election cycle. I think we could all use. But I do want to briefly encourage you with the political election this year, even amidst the chaos and negativity and the ads and the frustrations that we do have, we can be thankful for what we do have. Yes, in many ways we have a broken system, a flawed system. There are things that could be done much better, but what we have, even today, is still far better than what the majority of the world has to live under. I just read, I just read a a news story where in many countries, and I don't remember what specific country this was, but people are not allowed to have a religious gathering of more than six people, right? That's their church service. That's as big as their church service can get is six individuals coming together. And so for us to have been able to accomplish what we're doing today would have taken many, 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 many days. And so we're still blessed to be able to have that. And so for us to take advantage of that, But Jesus prays for us believers as we remain in a dark world. It's because we live in this dark world we're called to go out as shining lights. Verse 13, But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Point number four, Jesus Praise for us, church, because the world has hated us. Why do those in the world have disgust for Christians and what we stand for? Well, we don't agree with their system. In John 3, 19, it says this, This is the judgment, that light has come into the world, but people love their darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works will be exposed. That's why we like to sin in secret. We like to do things nobody else sees. We like to do these things privately, but inwardly we know they're wrong. Whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So we've seen Jesus pray for you in the past We've seen that even today, Jesus is praying for you today. He prays for us both then and now as we remain in the world. Jesus prayed for us because those in the world would hate what we stand for. Verse 15 says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil ones. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Verse, or point five, Jesus prayed for us to remain in the world, but not be of the world. As Christians, we have a mission that God has set before us. We are to be pointing back to God in the midst of darkness. We have read, many hate the light. They hate what's inside of us. But church, we're also promised some would see the light. And some would come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We can only fulfill this purpose by being in the world, but not falling in love with the desires and temptations of this world. As beautiful as some things are in this world that we love, I try to remind myself, 
here on Marco, we have an opportunity to do so often when you see that incredible, expensive, beautiful car go by, right? The Ferrari or the Maserati or the Bentley or whatever it is. We have opportunities to see cars on Marco we don't typically get to see. And I just want you to remember when you see that car go by, and whether it's somebody in their 30s or somebody in their 70s, right? Sometimes that happens and you're like, oh, what are they? Why don't they let me borrow that car for a little while? Just remember, one day it is going to burn. Just, just have that thought run through your mind. It's going to be destroyed one day as if it's nothing. If it's a piece of straw that's just being burnt up, it is nothing compared to eternity. Yet we get so fixated on little things in this world, whether it be clothes or a type of something, or a house, or a brand, or a car. We are to be in the world, but not of the world. I'm not saying we can't have nice things, but we don't need to be pursuing those things at the cost of others. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by the testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. So do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed. And how? How are we as Christians supposed to be transformed? By the renewal of our mind. And how is our mind supposed to be renewed? Biblically, this comes to John 17, verse 17. This is how our mind is renewed. Sanctify them in the truth. This is still Jesus' prayer for you and I to the Father. He says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so also I have sent them. Point number six. Jesus prayed for our sanctification as we have been sent into the world. Sanctification is the process by which we as believers are conforming and being made into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And there's a promise here where Jesus is in prayer. Remember, his prayers are always answered. And he's in prayer to the Father to sanctify us. And if this prayer is for us, and it was prayed by Jesus, then we know it is true, and it will come true. So this leads us to understand, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are undergoing the process of what, church? Sanctification. There's no such thing as a Christian who's not being sanctified. Because Jesus prayed that God the Father would what? Sanctify them. Sanctify them. So our sanctification happens in many different ways. Sometimes it's faster than others. Sometimes it's slow, but it is happening. And it primarily comes through the study and the meditation and the reading of God's Word. It says, sanctify them in the truth. What is truth? Our world still can't understand what truth is. Is it relative? Is it absolute? Who has it? Do all of us have it? Do some of us have part of it? What is truth? We know as believers what is truth. Is truth is every word spoken from the mouth of God. And then it goes on. It says, your word is truth. So we come to the truth. The renewal of our minds comes from the study and application of God's word. This is why, church, it's so important for us to make sure we're setting aside time for the reading and the study of God's word, making it a priority in our life. Did Jesus pray that we would sanctify ourselves? No. Did Jesus pray that we would keep ourselves in the faith? No. 
all of this is dependent on who? God the Father. So Jesus is praying, sanctify them in your word, in your truth. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, I can assure you, you're going through the process of sanctification. It was part of Jesus' prayer for you. It's part of God's plan for you. Maybe some of you have asked a question. I just had the question this past week. Someone asked me, and they said, I just, I just don't know what God's plan is for my life. I don't know what he wants me to do. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 says this. If, if you're trying to figure out what your plan is, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. Our purpose, your purpose is to become more and more like Jesus Christ. And as you become more and more like Jesus Christ, you'll point other people there. You'll help other people. You'll serve other people. Your marriage will be different. Your relationship with your children will be different. Becoming more like Jesus Christ will change absolutely everything in your life. It'll change the way you think. It'll change what you do. It'll change your work ethic. It says, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Some of you might be thinking, this sounds like a suicide mission. Why would I want to do that? Why would I want to go into the world and talk to people who might hate what I'm going to talk with them about? Why would I go and start up a conversation with someone who they're all right with me now, but I'm going to talk about something that's potentially offensive to them? Why would I do that? And how can I talk with them about, I know Jesus Christ is good news, but in order to get to the good news, that also means I'm going to have to what? Talk about the bad news. I'm going to have to talk about what he died for, what they're living in. I mean, that means that these people could get offended. They could not be my friend. I could go through persecution. Now, here in the United States, we don't have to worry about if we're going to be killed as much as if we're going to be rejected emotionally. But either way, we face potential types of rejection. And I just want to say, be encouraged. This is why Jesus prayed for you. It's for us to be able to go do that. And if he prayed for you, he will keep you and encourage you in the midst of that difficult conversation. This is why he's given us his word, so that we can be equipped, that when we talk with people, we know what to say, how to say it, what not to say. And it's through the study of God's word. We know if they respond one way, we can take them there. If they respond another way and they reject us, we can say they're rejected not for my sake, but for the sake of Jesus Christ. Blessed are we for those who endure that persecution as he was persecuted, so we are persecuted. We, we have responses for whatever happens. I know it sounds crazy where people can say, why would I want to become part of that? Why would I want to give my life on this earth to, to Jesus Christ and then go and have to do these things? And I'll say, number one, we don't have to. We get to. But I know why I go. I know why I would go on that suicide mission. I know why I would go to those other parts of the world. I know why I would talk with the store clerk or the person checking me out or whatever it is at the grocery store. Why I would talk with them is because... Jesus Christ went on that same suicide mission for me. And he did for you. He's not asking us to do anything he hasn't already done for us. He came here and pursued you when you were rejecting of him. He came here and pursued you when you did persecute him. 
when your heart was bent in evil ways towards him, he came for you anyways. 1 Corinthians 1.8 says, The message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction, but to those who are being saved, it is the very power of God. This is how you're talking to some people, and one person gets it, and they understand, and they're broken, and other people says, that sounds like a bunch of baloney. I, I'm never going to believe that. And they walk away. It's because this message is dividing. This message is offensive. This message, it breaks up households. It can break up countries. People come, and there's two extremes, but there is a line, and you can't ride the fence. But the message of the cross is a beautiful message when you understand the need for it. When you understand your brokenness before the Lord, that you need help in this life, there is someone there who wants to help. There is someone there who wants to forgive. There's someone there to offer you hope. There's someone there to offer you a fresh start. Some of us might be thinking, and I know many of us are hurting. Maybe you're the only one that knows the extent of the situation that you're in. Maybe you haven't shared it with others. But I think many times in our life at different points, we're all just wishing we could have that magical childhood word that we used to say so many times, a do-over. I just want a do-over in life. I want a fresh start. I want a redo. I want a new game. And the problem with this is many of us really think in our heart and our mind that if we just had a fresh start, if we had a fresh start in our marriage, if we had a fresh start in our job, if we could just go back in time or if we could just start this over with our children, that it'll fix everything. But I, I want to tell you, church, it never fixes anything. Because when we're given a fresh start, it's not long before what? We mess it up again. This is why some people, after many decades of this pattern, they begin pondering the question. They say, it's almost as if the same common denominator in this situations that I keep finding myself, and the only thing that stays the same is me. So maybe it's me that, no, no, it's not. It can't be me. It's surely the situation. Surely it's her fault, or if he would just, or if they just changed their mind, or if that just would have worked out differently, or how could I have known, or it's not my fault. Church, we've tried things over and over and over again our way. Your way and my way and the world's way doesn't work. We don't just need a redo. We need a new heart. We need a new mind. What we need is God in our life directing our path, being led by the truth, not by how we feel. For those of you who have already trusted in Jesus Christ, you know this is ringing true in your life. You've seen it play out. May you be encouraged this morning for those who have trusted in Jesus Christ that he's praying for you, that he's praying for your situation. He knows your situation more intimately than you do, whether it's relationally, financially, emotionally, whatever it is. He knows that situation. He's praying for you, and he's praying for your sanctification in the process. And because he has prayed for this, you are being sanctified. And you are being kept. And this is why we pursue. For those of you who have maybe never trusted in Jesus Christ, 
I encourage you, spend time just even in prayer. Maybe you're not even sure God exists. Spend time in prayer asking God to reveal himself to you, to make himself known. Maybe this morning you already are feeling, or there is something to where you know he exists, but you're just unwilling to submit to him. I just want to encourage you, what you already know to be true, you can't do it on your own. All we end up doing is messing things up. Jesus came for those of you who know you're sick, those of you who know you're hurting, because he loves you, he cares for you. He cares what you're going through. He prays for us. What a privilege and a blessing. So I encourage you, if you don't know Christ this morning, spend some time in prayer. Maybe you're ready to call out to him to save you as best you know how in prayer. Ask him to come into your life and save you. Scripture says, for those who knock, the door will be open to them. For those who seek after God, you will find him. It is a blessing to have that relationship with Jesus Christ. I want us to pray, and as we close, I want us to be encouraged, church, that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has prayed for you. God, we thank you for praying for us. God, we thank you that even today you are praying for us. You are praying for our sanctification. You're praying for us to be kept in the faith. And we know because your prayers are perfect and they're always answered, we will be sanctified. We will endure. We will remain in the faith. God, we thank you that it's not dependent on us to stay close to you, that you're the one who sought us out. God, I pray for those who you're working on this morning in their hearts and in their mind. God, pursue them, love them, help them to call out to you as Lord and as Savior. God, I pray for those whose marriages are hurting. May you miraculously show up and do an incredible work in those marriages. God, I pray for those whose relationships are hurting maybe with family or friends. Maybe there's hurts or bitterness or resentment. God, we thank you that you're in prayer for these on our behalf. God, I pray for those who may be struggling financially, for those who may be struggling emotionally. Whatever it is, God, I pray that you may show up, and I thank you that you are in prayer for us. Help us to realize the blessing and help us to realize the humbleness that you are continually in prayer for us daily. What a privilege it is to have the Son of God in prayer for us. Help us to understand this as we come back into a time of worship before we go out for the rest of our week. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things.